He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, by His wounds we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, by His wounds we are healed. We are healed by Your sacrifice. Let the life that You gave, we are healed. Your grace we are saved, we are saved. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, by His wounds we are healed. Good morning. Happy Easter. Thanks for joining us this morning. As we begin, I just want to uh, uh, share with you a couple of prayer requests that we have that we want to be in prayer for today. Uh, Hudson First Baptist is our church of the week, so just be in prayer for Pastor John and for Hudson First Baptist. Uh, they are celebrating Easter today, and so just pray for their church and remember their church family as well. I do want to uh, just be in prayer for a couple of our missionaries today want to be in prayer uh, for Christina Roop and also Matt and Angie Hall. Uh, just remember them and be in prayer for them. Matt and Angie are in Papua New Guinea. Uh, remember them. And Christina Roop is working on and making plans of going to Paraguay. So we want to remember Christina and pray for her as she ties loose ends up and gets things ready there. Want to? Uh, she's trying to sell her car. So if anybody is interested in a Chevy Impala, uh, give me a call, and we will get Christina's number to you, and you can uh, look at purchasing her Chevy Impala. But she's trying to get that sold uh, before she heads back to Paraguay. So remember uh, Chris and pray for Chris and, and Matt and Angie as well. We want to be in prayer for, obviously, with the coronavirus going on, we want to be in prayer for that in regards to that. Pray for protection for uh, those who are uh, health care workers and even was visiting uh, with a couple people this week about being in the prisons and the infection being there in the prisons and trying to keep the, the guards safe and the, the inmates safe as well. And so we do want to pray for their protection uh, as well and pray for uh, Chad and Carl, remember them, and pray for them as they uh, work and as they serve. I also want to just pray for those who working in public. Uh, I know a number of people who are in those jobs that have to work, grocery stores, banks, uh, those kind of positions. We want to be in prayer for them just for their protection, that they would stay safe and the coronavirus uh, wouldn't affect them. Uh, there have been some great advances with this malaria medication. It seems to be working, and, and uh, even some doctors have been taking the malaria medication uh, to, in order not to catch 
uh, the coronavirus. So it does seem like things are working well with that malaria medication. So just pray that that would continue uh, to be used. I don't know about it, how it is for you, but as we continue through this coronavirus epidemic, I just find myself really praying that there would be a national revival. As we think about this day and what this day means, the empty tomb reminds us that we have victory over death. Uh, we have nothing to fear because of that. Uh, what a great opportunity for us to be proclaiming the good news of Christ through this coronavirus epidemic because so many people are living in fear and so many people are overwhelmed with the thought of the coronavirus. So we want to be in prayer that this would be an opportunity for a revival to take place. Just continue to pray for our church family. Uh, so far, we've been remaining pretty healthy. I think uh, cabin fever might take a few of us before the coronavirus does. But we do want to just pray for the safety of our church family. We think about those who are in nursing home care that are from our church, Dick and Mary Ann and, and Ralph and Betty. Be in prayer for them and remember them and, and uh, through all of this and, and pray for those um, just that God would continue to protect them. We do want to pray uh, for Nancy Simpkins and just uh, praise for Nancy Simpkins. Uh, there was a healthy great-grandson that was brought into the world that she's related to. Uh, so we want to give God praise for that and, and pray for that little guy as well. Uh, Sean Howard is going to be going in this week for his uh, checkup and, and for the chemo treatments as he begins those. Uh, so just pray for Sean that his body would respond well to chemo and he would have the strength that he needs for chemo and just pray for him. Uh, Geraldine was in at the doctor yesterday or the day before and uh, the doctor shared with her that uh, so far so good, doesn't seem like the tumor's growing, and, and so they're going to go back in another three months and just keep an eye on it. So just pray for Geraldine, just that she would be healthy, and, and just pray for her. Some of you received the call this week about Connie. Uh, she is Amy Price's cousin. Uh, she has the coronavirus, and she has some lung issues that were prior to the coronavirus, and so she's having a tough time. She's down in Indianapolis, and she is on a ventilator, they have her stabilized, but it's kind of a rough time for her. So be in prayer for Connie and Amy's family as well, just that God would guide and, and direct through this. And we do pray for uh, Connie's full recovery. Uh, I know as we go through this time, there are a number of unspoken requests that we want to be in prayer for. So uh, we'll be in prayer for those unspoken requests. And whatever is on your heart and mind, we'll just be lifting those things before the Lord and, and praying that God would work in those circumstances. As we begin here uh, this morning, let's go ahead and just have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, and Lord, just this opportunity that we have to, to gather this way. We're thankful that we live in this time of year this, where we have this kind of technology where we're able to still hear your word proclaimed, where we're able to still worship in this way. Not the same, certainly not the same, Lord, but we are able to stay in contact with one another and and look out for one another. So we just pray, Lord, that in our time together today, that you would just draw us near to you, Father. We do just pray for Hudson First Baptist, and Lord, they're meeting in a similar way that we are this morning. We just pray you'd minister to their hearts and minister to their minds and help them to look to you, Lord. We do think of this day, Lord, this being Easter Sunday, and it's certainly different from what we're used to. But we pray, Lord, that in these days, as we go through this, that this would be an opportunity, especially today, just to be reminded of what the empty tomb means to us. Father, the coronavirus and, and death and, and sin have no hold over us because of what your son Jesus has done for us. We're so grateful for that. And I pray today 
that we would be mindful of that, that our hearts would be filled with that. And Lord, that we would be celebrating that and rejoicing in that, even though everything else is going on. Help us to look and to hang on to that. Father, we do pray for protection through this coronavirus. Uh, Lord, we pray you'd minister to us and keep us safe. We think of our health care workers. We have a number in our church family that are health care workers, and some of them are even in harm's way where the virus is. We pray for protection for them. We think about those who are working in the prison, Lord God, and, and, and we pray, Lord, for protection upon them. We think especially of Carl and Chad, and just ask that you'd watch over them and keep them safe, Lord God, through this time as well. And we think about all of those workers, Father, who are essential workers, who are working at the grocery store, who are working at the bank, who are at other places where they are seeing the public. We pray, Lord, that you'd grant them safety as well. Watch over them, Lord, and help them. And we do just pray for our nation, Lord. We thank you that the curve is flattening, and we pray, Lord, that we would pull through this, and we pray that soon we would be on the other side of this looking back. And so we just pray that you'd work in that. We thank you for the malaria medicine that seems to be working and, and helping. And, and, Lord, we just pray that that would just continue to do what it needs to do. We pray, Father, for our president. We think about the, his group of people, Lord, that are making decisions. We think about our governors as they make decisions, Lord, regarding our states. We pray, Father, you would grant them wisdom, that they would look to you and lean on you, Father, in these opportunities, Father. And we just pray that you would move in a great way that they would have that wisdom. We do pray, Father, that this would be an opportunity for a national revival to take place. We see, Lord, where churches are, are being uh, harassed by law enforcement, Father, because they're open on these days. And we do pray, Lord, that you would just, Lord, touch our hearts and touch our minds, that the good news of your son Jesus would be on our hearts and that we would be sharing that with people and we would see people come to know Christ. And it does seem like a sad state of affairs that that's happening in our, our nation where this persecution is taking place. But, Lord, it's nothing new as far as time goes. As we look at history, we see it's something that's normal. And so, Lord, we pray that in this time, when we are challenged, that we would stand on the truth, Father, that the empty tomb would be something that would, would touch our hearts and our minds. Father, we pray for our church family. We pray that you'd protect our church family. Pray, Lord, that through this time that we would draw nearer to you, not drift away, but drawing nearer to you. And so, Lord, through applications like this, we pray, Father, you'd minister to our hearts, and we pray, Lord, that we would be looking to you. Thank you for the new addition to Nancy Simpkins' family, Lord, and we pray for her great-grandson. Thank you that he's healthy even in the midst of all of this. We're thankful he's healthy. We pray for his protection. We pray, Lord, that you'd minister to his heart, Lord, and when he gets old enough to realize his need for your son, we pray that through his parents, through his grandparents, through Nancy, that his, the soil of his heart has been softened and, and, Lord, ready to receive the good news of your son, Jesus. So we do pray for this young man. We pray for Sean Howard, Lord, ask that you'd be with him as he makes preparations to go in for chemo, and I think that's going to start this week, Lord. So I pray, Father, everything would go well with that. So just give wisdom there to the doctors. We pray for Geraldine. We thank you for her good checkup. We just pray, Lord, you'd minister to her and, and just continue to be with her and encourage her and help her to be looking to you through all of this. Father, we lift up Connie to you. We think about her with all that's going on, Lord. We just pray that you'd minister to her, give her the strength that she needs, Lord, and we do just pray that she would uh, be able to pull through this, Lord. Just minister to her and, and guide her and direct her. Give the doctors wisdom as they try to 
Bring her through this, Lord, and we just pray your healing touch would be upon her. We pray for Dick and Betty and Mary Ann and Ralph, and we ask that you'd be with them and encourage them. And, and Lord, the ladies down at Caring Done Right, we just have a, a number of church family members who are in nursing home care. And we just pray, Lord, you'd minister to those residents, encouraging their hearts, Lord, as they're not able to have visitors. Uh, Lord, we pray you'd speak to their hearts and minds. And Lord, let this be a time for them to be drawing near to your son as well. We do pray for the unspoken requests that are on our hearts today, Father. Some of them are overwhelming to us this morning as we're gathered here. And uh, Lord, they're at the forefront of our minds. And we just lift those to you, Father. We pray for the health concerns. We pray for the financial concerns. We pray for the, just the concerns that are weighing us down, Lord, this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would just touch our hearts and minds. Help us to rest in you. Help us to find that peace that passes all understanding, Lord, in you. And so, Lord, we do just pray that you would work in our hearts and in our minds. We're so grateful, Father, for who you are, especially grateful, Father, for your son, Jesus, and just all that we have because of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Shall we begin our time song together? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living. Just because he lives, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. Savior lives because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I Because he lives. 
amazing love, I know it's true, it's my joy to honor you, amazing love, how can it be, that you my king would die for me, amazing love, I know it's my joy to honor you, in all I do, I honor you. There have been events that have changed how we do things. You think about 9-11, and oftentimes when we think about 9-11, we'll hear something shared that this is how we do things post 9-11. You'll see an old video or an old movie where they walk right up to the gate in the airport, and we, re we realize that this was pre-9-11. Now that it's post-9-11, there's no uh, way that we can even get to the in the terminal of the airport without uh, a proper pass or a proper ticket. So there's this pre-9-11 and there's this post-9-11. And as we look at the world today, it is a post-9-11 time period. There are things that we do differently now because of 9-11. I think the coronavirus seems to be the same way. It'll have that same kind of impact. There will be changes that are made post-coronavirus that we didn't have prior to the coronavirus. This event has made one of those kinds of impacts. There's another event that has changed the world forever. And this morning we want to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the event that changed everything forever. So this morning as we dive into this passage, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at these first 
15 verses here as we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we think about this one event that changed the world forever, there are three points that we're going to follow and kind of allow these three points to lead us through this passage as we think about this. In verse 1, we see the ladies approached. In verses 2 through 10, we see the angels appear. And in, and then. Uh, verses 11 through 15, we see the enemies assembled. Before we dive into this this morning, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Father, I thank you for this day, and I do thank you, Lord, for your word, that we're able to delve into your word and see what your word has to share with us. Thank you for the hope that your word contains. And I pray, Father, this morning, as we look at this event, the resurrection of your son, Jesus, I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. I pray, Lord, when we're done here today, even though we're sitting in our living room around a laptop or around a TV, that we can say that we have heard from you. And, Lord, the only way that can happen is if you speak to us through your word. So take my mind and my heart and my tongue, Lord God, and allow me to share what you'd have us to hear. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would hear from you. Nothing more, but certainly nothing less, Father. So give me the words to think and the words to share. Help my mouth to work. And Lord God, let us hear from you today. We're so thankful, Father, especially today for your son, Jesus. So thankful today for the empty tomb. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 is where we want to begin this morning. Here in Matthew 28, verse 1, we see the ladies approached. Verse 1 begins this way. Now after the Sabbath. The Jewish day is marked from sundown to sundown. And at this point, the, the Sabbath day was complete. I think it's interesting. One commentator drew attention to this first phrase. In the King James Version, if you have that on your lap today, it says the end of the Sabbath. And his thought was an interesting thought. With Christ's death, burial, and res resurrection, that would, in fact, be the end of the Sabbath. This would bring an end to the Mosaic system. This would be an end to the Sabbath. From this point forward, the Sabbath would no longer be a focal point for those who follow Christ. Look at verse 1 as it continues. It says, towards the dawn of the first day of the week. So it was towards dawn. This is early in the morning. John's gospel tells us that it was still dark when this was taking place. They did not have names for the days of the week back then. They counted their days in regards to the Sabbath. Sabbath is the word that means seven. The Sabbath was the last day of the week, and it just so happens that there's seven days in a week. So the Sabbath was that seventh day, the last day of the week. So we read here in verse 1, towards the dawn of the first day of the week. This is what we know as Sunday mornings. The Sabbath is the last day of the week, and Sunday is the first day of the week, and that's when this is taking place. As the church was established, it was made up primarily of Jews. As we look in Acts 2, we see that the church being established, it was primarily made up of Jews there in Jerusalem. They began together on the first day of the week. The first day of the week became the emphasis. It became the focal point. Churches 
would gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know, today we gather on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate Sunday, it should serve as a reminder of the resurrection. But it's because of the resurrection that Sabbath was changed. It's because of the resurrection that now Sunday is the focal point. So after the resurrection, that's something that has changed. Meeting on Sundays now to celebrate the resurrection. Now verse 1 continues. It says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. The ladies would not have gone to the tomb on the Sabbath. It was a holy day, a day for them to uh, celebrate and to think on the Lord and, and worship. Touching a dead body would have made them unclean, so they would not have gone to the tomb on, sun, on Saturday, on the Sabbath. So they waited until the Sabbath was complete, and they waited until the next morning before they went. Now, as we look at this, and we see here in Matthew's account, he speaks of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. These ladies were not alone. Mark's account of, the gospel, of this event says this in Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. But Matthew chooses these two Marys, and he focuses on these two Marys. These two Marys were the ones that were present when Jesus was taken off of the cross. It says in Matthew 27, verse 61, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite of the tomb. When Joseph of Arimathea came and removed Jesus' body and Nicodemus helped him, these two Marys were there. They come back to the tomb here on this first day of the week because they want to mourn his passing. They want to say their final farewells. So they come with ointment, even though Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had already prepared the body of Christ. They came to say goodbye. They came with their ointments to do their part to say goodbye to Jesus. So we see the ladies approaching as they approach the tomb. We see them approach. The second thing that we see here in this passage is the angels appear. Look at verse 2. It says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. There was a great earthquake. When we looked at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on Friday, we saw Jesus being crucified, and we saw an earthquake take place there when Jesus gave up his spirit. Here we have another earthquake. Imagine that, just a couple of days after Jesus was crucified, here we have this earthquake taking place again. This earthquake occurred when the angel descended from heaven. The tomb was sealed and secured, and that giant stone was rolled in front of the tomb. It probably took several men to roll it in front of the tomb. But this angel rolled this, tomb, rolled this stone back, and then he sat on the stone. Verse 3 shares the angel's appearance. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. The angel's appearance demonstrates the glory of God. 
His white clothing suggests God's purity and God's holiness and being in the presence of God. That purity and that holiness would be there. And it was clear that this angel was a messenger from God, that he came from God. Now it says in verse 4, And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, as we read this tomb, and if we read them being here at the tomb, why were they here at the tomb? What brought them here to the tomb? Well, they were posted at the tomb to guard the tomb. The religious leaders actually requested them that they come and guard the tomb. Matthew shares this in Matthew 27, verse 62. It says, The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chiefs, priests, and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. So this is on, this is the day, uh, this is after the, after the crucifixion. This is when, when these guys gathered. It says, Sir, we remember how the imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will, ref- I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to him, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So these religious leaders posted these battle-tested soldiers there in front of the tomb Their fear was that the disciples would come and steal away the body. You know, as we look at the rest of the scriptures, we see that the disciples, the apostles, were were full of fear, and they were hiding. They were afraid they were going to be arrested as well. So there was no threat for them coming to steal the body. But these religious leaders wanted to make sure that they protected it, that Jesus didn't trick anybody else and deceive anybody else. So they posted these soldiers. These soldiers were battle-tested men. Notice what happened when these battle-tested men saw these angels. Verse 4, and for fear of him, the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They saw the angels and they fainted. Their power and their military strength was useless. It's interesting as we look at this, this word that's used here for trembled The root part of that word is the same root as earthquake, as the root of earthquake. These men were shaking in their boots, literally shaking in their boots, and they fainted from fear. Boy, this was not one of those uh, precious moments angel encounters. You know the little precious moment angels? That was not this encounter for them. They saw this angel They were fearful, they trembled, they shook in their boots, and they fainted from fear. Battle-tested men fainting in fear. Now notice what happens in verse 5. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The angel speaks to the women, Do not be afraid. They see the angel sitting there, and the angel speaks to them, do not be afraid. The soldiers had fainted from fear, yet the angel tells the women, 
do not be afraid. He knew the reason for their visit. He knew why they had, why they had come to the tomb. Look at verse 6. The angel said, he's not here. He has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. They came to see Jesus. The angel declared that he is risen. Notice what the angel says. He is not here, for he has risen. States this fact. But notice that next phrase, as he said. You see, Jesus had told them a number of times that he would rise again. He told them a number of times that this was part of God's plan. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed. And on the third day, rise. Matthew 17, verses 22 through 23. As they were gathered in Galilee... Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and, they will, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. You see, Jesus shared with them that he was going to rise again. He shared with them that it was going to be on the third day that he was going to rise again. He shared that he was going to suffer many things from the elders the chief priests and the scribes. He shared that he would be killed, but on the third day he would rise again. If Jesus failed to rise, he would have been a deceiver. He would have been unworthy of following. So notice what the angel does. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. This would be a great opportunity for the angel to say, turn around and go home and believe me. But instead he says this, come, See the place where he lay. You see, the angel wants these women to see and confirm that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. It wasn't enough for the angel to say, take my word for it. He wanted these ladies to see for himself that Jesus was no longer there. He reminds them that Jesus told them that he was going to rise again, and then he lets them see the empty tomb. They didn't need to take the angel's word for it. They could see for themselves that Jesus was no longer there, that he had risen. Now notice what it says in verse 7. He gives the women a mission. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So the angel says, come and see the place where he lay. And then he says, once you see where he lay, once you realize he's not here, once you recognize that the tomb is empty, then go and tell. You see, their lives were going to be different. Their lives were not going to be the same after this event. Their lives couldn't go back to be the same after this event. So he said, you must go and you must tell. These women were going to be witnesses of the empty tomb. They were going to be the first witnesses of the empty tomb. They were going to go and tell the disciples that the tomb was empty. They heard he had risen. They saw for himself 
they saw for themselves that he had risen. Now they were to go and to tell the disciples that he had risen. Now there's an interesting side note here, and every time I think about this, I'm reminded of this. Women in this day and age, biblical times, not today, but biblical times, women were not qualified to be witnesses. If there was a crime that took place and a woman saw the crime, she would not be a qualified witness in a courtroom. It had to be a man who would witness that. But here, these women are the first ones to go see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're the first witnesses of the empty tomb. Yet, God chose them to be there. God selected them to reveal this to them. They're the first to go and to proclaim the empty tomb. It amazes me as we think about this. If the empty tomb was not real, if the resurrection was not real, if this whole thing was made up, don't you think the disciples would have chosen one of themselves to be there and be the first witnesses of this? I mean, if you really wanted to stand up, wouldn't you take care of that little detail? And I think that's all the more for us to believe that this event really happened because these women were the first ones to go and to report the good news of the empty tomb. Verse 8 says this, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. They departed quickly with fear and great joy. Boy, it seems like it's hard for those two things to go together. But I can imagine them being fearful about what just took place. And then yet having the promise of the empty tomb, having the promise of the resurrection, being reminded that Jesus rose again. So I can imagine that there was that great fear, but yet that great joy as well. And they departed and they ran quickly to tell the disciples. Verse 9 says this, Behold, Jesus met them, and he said, Greetings. And they came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Can you imagine how this would be? <laughs> uh, it's so, I don't know, surreal, I guess, to think that as they see Jesus, he would say, Greetings. Uh, I guess we would say hello as well. But that's what happens. And notice what they do. They come and they take hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Boy, there's that song that I can only imagine. It talks about what will I do when I stand in your presence? Will I fall to my knees? How will I do that? You know, I think about that often, about how it's going to be when we finally see Jesus face to face. You know, sometimes we think about going to heaven and can't wait to see Grandma, can't wait to see Weird Uncle Harold. He's going to be there. And, and, you know, we think of all these people that we can't wait to see. But you know, I think when we get to heaven, when we see Jesus face to face, that's going to be the thing that we, he's going to be the one that we focus on. That's going to be what takes place is we'll be there in his presence, worshiping him. They go from this moment of, of being defeated for the last couple, three days here where they're just overwhelmed with, with grief. And all of a sudden they see Jesus and they're overjoyed with this. And their reaction is worship. Verse 10 says, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Go and tell my brothers. Tell them. Tell the disciples. 
So that's the angel appeared. The last thing we see are the enemies assembled. Look at verse 11. It says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. It's interesting as we look at this, we think about the guards fainting from fear when they see the angels. When they come to and realize the tomb is empty, they leave and they don't go and report to their leading officers. Instead, they go to the chief priests. They do not go to their commanding officer. They go to their chief priests. They didn't report to Pilate. They reported to the chief priests. They were afraid. The body that they were assigned to watch, to guard, to protect was gone. They failed. They failed their mission. They failed to post, they failed to keep their post secure. Death would be the result of their failure. They had seen something that was unexplainable. They saw something that was unbelievable. And the, and the body was gone. There was no body. The high priests were the only ones they could talk to. We kind of are reminded here of just the stronghold that the high priest had on Rome here in Jerusalem. But as we see this, we also realize just the, what was going on behind the scenes here. They knew that this whole thing was just a religious situation, and they knew that the religious leaders were the ones that they needed to talk to. And so they go to the religious leaders. They go to the chief priests to share with them what happened. Now notice verse 12. It says, When they had assembled with the elders, uh, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, so the chief priests heard the soldiers and what the soldiers had to share. And they assembled the elders together. This would have been the Sanhedrin that they would have assembled here. This same group of people that gathered to determine to execute Jesus. It was that group. The testimony of the soldiers was given to that group. They thought that they had finally gotten rid of this Jesus character. And now this comes up, and they're all assembled here to hear this new evidence. And this new evidence could ruin their career. This new evidence could ruin their plan if this got out. It's ironic that it's this group of men who posted the guards because Jesus said he would rise again. These guards come and say, you know, this was a supernatural event that took place. We saw this guy just glistening with light and whiteness and bright light, and it was an amazing thing. And the body was gone. Instead of recognizing this truth, realizing that what Jesus had prophesied, what Jesus had said was going to happen, actually happened, instead of recognizing that truth, receiving that truth, accepting that truth, they choose to ignore that truth, and they choose to cover up that truth. Look at verse 12 as it continues. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. 
And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So these religious leaders come up with this plot. They decide that they're going to offer a bribe to these soldiers. Now it says here they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. So this was a large amount of money. How sufficient of an amount was this? This is how sufficient it was. Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. So what they're asking these soldiers to do is to share that they fell asleep on the job and the body was stolen out from underneath them while they were asleep. This would be a career-ending thing for these soldiers. Telling people that an angel came down would probably be a career-ender as well. But this would certainly be execution-worthy if this was discovered. Verse 14 says, If this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So instead of recognizing the resurrection story, they went to silence the story. Instead of receiving and believing the story, they concoct a story about why the body was gone. They could have done an investigation. You know, if they would have investigated this and found the body, that would have silenced this whole resurrection story completely. All they had to do was produce the body. They accept the fact that the body is gone. They don't try to argue that point that the body is gone. They accept that. But what they want to do is give a reason why the body is gone. This would have been an excellent chance for them to confess Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. They had heard his teaching that he was going to rise on the third day. It's happened, but they're not willing to accept it. They're not willing to repent. Instead, they choose to dig themselves in deeper. And unfortunately, they were not afraid of leaving others astray as well. And that's exactly what they did. They were willing to pay off the governor, no matter how much it cost. They would do whatever it took to suppress the truth. Look at verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The soldiers heard the plan. No idea how much money this was, but they accepted it. And this rumor continues to spread today. The religious leaders continued to lead people astray. Looking at the religious leaders, easy for us to shake our heads. But you know, we're reminded in this that Satan is the one behind this. He doesn't want the empty tomb or the news of the empty tomb to, to spread. He wants that to be silenced. That's Satan's plan. Satan's plan all along. But as we look at these religious leaders, as we shake our heads and just say, how can this be? It's sad that they suppress the truth. But what have we done with this truth? Have we kept it quiet as if it's some secret? It's amazing sometimes how we hear a little juicy news of gossip and we've got to be quick to share it. Put it on Facebook. Put it wherever. We're quick to share that. 
But how often do we keep the secret of the empty tomb quiet, not willing to share that? Since we discovered the empty tomb, has there been a change in us? In times like this that we're going through, the truth of the empty tomb needs to be shared. What are we doing to proclaim that truth? So there you have it. Friday we saw the death of Jesus, and this morning we saw the resurrection of Jesus. Friday is a sad time as we think about the death of Jesus, but Sunday is a time of joy because of the resurrection of Jesus. We saw the ladies approach, we saw the angels appear, and we saw the enemies assemble. What do we take home from this? What do we apply to our lives today? I think as we think about this, we need to realize and be reminded that the resurrection of Jesus was a life-changing event. It was a world-changing event. It was an event that changes how we look at things. It should be an event that changes how we look at things. Satan would love to cover it up. Satan would love to make people ignore the fact. But the empty tomb proves that Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. The empty tomb is proof that Jesus has defeated sin and death. The empty tomb proves that death could not hold Jesus. And you know, as we think about that, the empty tomb assures us that one day there will be a resurrection. The empty tomb assures us that death has no hold on us. The empty tomb assures us that sin no longer has any power over us. Because when we're in Christ, we've overcome death. When we're in Christ, we've overcome sin and the power of sin. No matter how crazy life gets, we need to remember that the tomb is still empty. I saw a great meme that said on Easter Sunday, the churches will be empty, but you know what? So will the tomb. The tomb is still empty. You know, every Sunday that we get together and worship, when we get back to that, being able to gather and worship again, we need to remind ourselves that we're gathering because the tomb is still empty. When we discovered the significance of the empty tomb, our lives should have been transformed. Has your life been transformed? Maybe today as you're gathered here, you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. You never thought about the significance of the empty tomb and what that means for us, that he's paid the full penalty for your sin, that he's overcome sin and he's overcome death. He's paid your price. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I invite you to do that today. Just in the quietness of your own house, just turn to him in prayer. Recognize Jesus as the one who came and lived that perfect life and died your death for you.
recognize that you can have eternal life because of what he's done. Turn to God today. Thank him for the gift of Jesus Christ and ask him to apply it to your sin debt account. Ask him for that eternal life that can only be given to you through Jesus Christ. Don't let this time be wasted. Don't let this Easter go by without accepting the free gift of salvation that's provided for you. Maybe you're here today and life has just been difficult. Life has just been different and you've forgotten what the resurrection is all about. Let this be a day that we celebrate the resurrection. You know, our lives are changed. Normally on Easter, we're getting out of church and we're quickly gathering with family and sometimes the fact and the importance of the resurrection is forgotten. So today, since life is a little different on this Easter Sunday, let this be a day that you reflect and reminded of what the resurrection is all about. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, and we do thank you for this time. We're able to be in your word and look into your word. Father, I pray that as we celebrate this Easter differently than we celebrate other Easter's, that this would be a day that we would reflect and be reminded of the significance of the empty tomb. Father, we're so grateful, so grateful for the empty tomb today. So grateful for all that we have because of the empty tomb. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I was thinking this week about our knees at nine and what we can pray at nine o'clock each night this week. You know, as we continue in our lockdown, as we continue life abnormally, what a great opportunity for us to pause each night and give thanks to God that the empty tomb is still empty. Give thanks to God for his plan of salvation. Give thanks to God how it's worked out so perfectly. I was thinking this week about the bailout plans that have been put in place to bail out our economy, to bail out our nation. I'm so thankful that God had a bailout plan as well because we were lacking in righteousness. There's no way that we could equal the righteousness of God. We needed bailed out. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill that bailout plan. And if we just look to Christ and receive him as Savior, we can be bailed out of our lack of righteousness, and we can be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. So this week at 9 o'clock, let's give thanks. Let's give thanks for the empty tomb. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Have a great rest of the day.